we do think about vision, we tend to think about eyes, right? I mean, that's the big deal, the eyes. It's the problem people have is with their eyes. But actually, vision is an enormously complex process. You probably know this. And if you're a medical doctor here this morning, feel free to raise your hand and correct me. But eyes are vital, absolutely. They're very intricate, and we need our eyes to work. But in fact, in the system, the way the system works, they're simply receptors. They're sensors. They receive light. Uh, and they transform that into electrical impulses that go back through the optic nerve to a thing in the back called the visual cortex. That's the part of your brain that's dedicated to sight. And the visual cortex uh, learns as we are growing up, when we're little and, and really for years, it continues to learn. Yeah, how to process these signals that are coming in and, and, and create in our minds the image that we call sight. We think we're looking right out, but there's this whole process that's going on back here in the visual cortex where it's creating the images. It's something our brains learn. We learn what the shapes and the colors are, what movement means, and so forth. All of that is a learned thing. And you can watch it happen in babies. If you've been around babies, you can realize that uh, uh, for the first week or two or maybe three or maybe four, they don't really focus in on your face. And then pretty soon, though, they recognize mom, maybe dad, and then eventually get a smile as a response. All that's the visual cortex doing its processing, sorting out what at the beginning is just a mass of impulses that are coming into the brain. The brain figures it out. Aren't we amazing? Well, that's vision. I'm, Becky and I had a hard lesson in this with our grandson, Nicholas, uh, out in Portland. When he was seven, he had major brain damage. He suffered a catastrophic uh, brain uh, damage from low sugar, and uh, it hit his visual cortex as much as anything. It hit most of his brain. In fact, the doctors told my daughter that they could, in conscience, pull the plug because he was too far gone. They didn't, uh, and he, he's lived. But he has this visual impairment. It's called cortical blindness because his cortex was so badly damaged. His eyes work fine. They send the signals back to the brain, but the processor, the, the computer back there ain't working. And so what he sees, we don't know exactly what he sees. He's not very verbal, but he, it's probably like a kaleidoscope and just random lights. Now, Nicholas, against all doctors' predictions, he's actually managed to decipher some of that. He can walk into a room now that he doesn't know and not run into a chair. There's something going on visually with him. He's never going to read or anything like that, but it's, he's come a long way. They said he'd never get any of it back, but he has. But I'm on about this this morning because here's Jesus opening the eyes of a man born blind, and I want you to see that that's just a tiny fraction of the miracle that's been done in this guy's life. The eyes, this, this fantastic miracle, absolutely. But you see what Jesus has done at the same moment. He's reprogrammed the man's brain. He, this guy didn't have any visual learning. He didn't have a visual cortex that was learning to process and sort everything out. And yet, after Jesus opens his eyes, the man is suddenly functional, completely functional, in the world that he's never seen. He, can, he walks, he goes back from the Pool of Siloam, he finds Jesus, he talks with people, he's debating with the Jews, he, he's operating exactly like somebody who's seen his whole life, except that his brain didn't get the first two, three, four years of life where all of that was programmed in there. Jesus has fixed him, 
instantly. Now, if you read about, you can read about, you can find it in my line. People today that were born blind, that through some advance in medical science could see. They were, that did some surgery or whatever it took, they opened their eyes. And uniformly, the first reaction when their eyes open and the brain is connected is terror. They're terrified because it's just a massive light images and all kinds of things flooding in. And their brain didn't figure it out yet. It hasn't processed. It hasn't made the categories and sorted the shapes and all of that. And so they're just overwhelmed. Usually they can only, only keep their eyes open for a second or two at a time. Laurel, our organist over at Sullivan's Island campus, is blind from birth. And she knows friends that got their sight back. And she said a good number of them wish they hadn't because it's so overwhelming, it's such a huge process. My point is, this guy doesn't experience any of that. He's just instantly functional in a world that he's never seen. No long, slow process for him. Now, that would put a little bit of credibility to the Jews who didn't believe that he was blind. Uh, they think it's a hoax. And he says it himself. He says, since the world began, it's never been heard that somebody gave sight to a man born blind. It might be somebody that was got some impairment later and they get to see again, but a man born blind, not happening. Okay, well, as great as that miracle is, there's a greater miracle in this man's life, which is that through this encounter with Jesus Christ, he comes to faith. He comes to believe. He's nothing that we know of at the beginning, spiritually blind, dead, apparently. All we know about him is that he was there begging because he's been a blind man all his life. Jesus sends him to the pool to wash the mud off, and he comes back seeing, and he gets it. You know, I mean, he gets it. He gets it. Not only can he see, his eyes are working, but he understands everything he's seeing. And he understands in particular that Jesus did this. And so he knows, intuitively, he knows that this person's got to be from God. There's got to be a God to make this happen, because I've been blind since I was a baby before birth. So he goes from nowhere to understanding that Jesus did it, that Jesus is a prophet, and then he has, he has this encounter with Jesus. He talks to him. And, you know, he says, you know, tell me the, who the Son of Man is that I might believe in him. He's ready. He's on the edge. And he, then Jesus says, it is I, and the man worships. And in the meantime, he becomes a disciple. In the meantime, he becomes an apologist, right? He gets into a, a, a fight with the Jews who are, who are telling him some of that's left out. And we skip over that interaction, some of it in our way we did our reading this morning, lest we keep you all day listening to the gospel reading. But, but there's this interchange. He, he, he really goes at it with, a, with the Jews because they're saying that this person is not, that's not real. He's not a, he's not a prophet. We're, we don't even know where he comes from. And we pick up a little bit of that guy. He says, you don't. You don't know where he's from, but he, he, he restored my vision. What's wrong with you people, he's saying. So there he is. He's gone from nowhere, spiritually speaking, to alive and, and healed and worshiping Jesus Christ, and he's become an evangelist. In other words, on the discipleship path, he's taken like four steps in about an hour and a half. He's moving. 
profound spiritual healing. Now, I would say this, that no physical healing of a human being can come anywhere close to that healing. And I say that because physical healing is a wonderful thing. I've actually been healed of one or two things in my lifetime by prayer, and it's wonderful. It's terrific. It's, it's amazing. But you know what? I'm still going to die. <laughs> that healing is great for this life. But there's another life. And we're only in this first few moments of our total existence, and the spiritual healing is forever. Forever life with Jesus Christ, forever worshiping God in heaven. So this healing, while it's amazing and it's terrific and profound, and his, it's nothing compared to the spiritual healing that he's enjoyed. Eternal joy, eternity with God in heaven, free from the fires of hell. And it's not just the eternity. This guy has now got what we get. It's a life of spiritual seeing now in this life. How are we going to live in this world without spiritual wisdom? Without the gift that God gives us of spiritual seeing, seeing the world around us as God sees it. And we have a picture of that this morning in the reading from Prophet Samuel. God called Samuel to his great prophet to go, go and anoint a new king. You might remember the story. Saul was the first king, and Saul kind of blew it, disobeyed God. And God is now replacing Saul as his king over his people Israel. And he sends Samuel to go see Jesse and Jesse's sons, one of whom God says will be king. Samuel gets there and he starts looking at these, the lineup of, of the young men and he's looking at them with human eyes. And so he sees what the human being would see. He's not looking with spiritual eyes. He's looking at their height, their stature, stature you know, how, the, how they hold themselves, if they have the bearing of a king, all those good things. And he goes for the biggest and the oldest. And God speaks to him there. He says, no, no, you're not seeing this correctly. You need to see them as I see them and see the heart. I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And Samuel gets it. You see, right at that, he's God's prophet. He's filled with the Spirit for this task. And the, the next son comes up, and it's, God doesn't have to speak to him. Samuel's caught the idea. There's a spiritual seeing here, and I need to be looking at that. It's the second one. He says, no, that's not him. And then the third one, and then the fourth one, and the fifth one, and so on. Samuel's got his eyes open, his spiritual eyes. He's doing the work of God through his own vision, his own spiritual vision. Until finally, the youngest finally is brought in from the field, David, and here God speaks to him and says to Samuel, what I suspect Samuel already knew, this is, he's the last one, he must be the one, and God says, yeah, yeah that's the one, David, who becomes Israel's greatest king. Uh, far from perfect, don't emulate everything David did, but he was, he was a good king over Israel. So my point is we are offered vision like that, you and I. To, we're offered by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit within us, by virtue of becoming Christian people, we're offered the gift of spiritual sight, the ability to look at the world around us and see it through God's eyes. Now, not perfectly, you know, but I mean, we don't quite have it all, obviously. Paul says we see as through, what, as in a mirror darkly, and we, we, things are still a little cloudy for us. But nevertheless, there is a spiritual gift of sight, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul 
talks about it in the epistle today. He says, if we're Christian, we are children of the light. We don't live in the darkness, in spiritual darkness. We live in the light. We can see things. Jesus told us, remember, we are the light of the world. We're sons and daughters of the light. While the mark of an unbeliever is they have eyes, but they cannot see. They see just what you and I are looking at, but they don't get it. They don't see the world and the world of sin and the need of redemption that we see when we look around. In his letters, remember Paul lists some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and some of those gifts are vision gifts. Get the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit, and we get gifts. Some, some get, all get some gifts. Wisdom, spiritual discernment, the ability to distinguish between spirits, gift of prophecy. These things are vision gifts that operate in the body of Christ. If we have made Christ our Lord and Savior, we've received the Spirit. You all know this. I imagine you hear it most every Sunday. If you haven't received Jesus as Lord and Savior, then don't wait. Today's the today. Talk to Jonathan after the service or to me or to the person next to you. They can probably tell you how to do it, how to pray and receive Christ. But if we have received him, then do we get it, you and I, that we're children of the light, that we walk in this world as though those who can see the spiritual reality? And if we've not given our lives to Christ, do we realize that we're blind? There are lots of advantages to not having Christ, but one of them is that we're blind. We don't run into the walls, but we don't see the spiritual reality of the things that are around us. We can't understand them. They're spiritually understood. So, for the sake of eternity, we need to come in from the dark and live as children of the light. But for the sake of leaving, living well in the world today, we need to be in the light. We need to be able to see with God's vision the world around us and so to live wisely in the light of that reality. Let's, let me give you a, couple, a few examples. Spiritual vision, if we look at ourselves. If we don't have spiritual vision, we might look at ourselves and say, well, you know, I need to lose a little weight, but basically I'm a good person. But if we can look at ourselves with God's vision, we see right away, that's what we're supposed to do in Lent, right? We're supposed to have some introspection and consider our sins. And if we look with God's vision at us, then we're going to see some sin and a need for forgiveness, which he offers. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the path. That's the Christian path. But we also might see, with God's vision, if we looked at ourselves, we also might see how loved we are. We might look back at our past and in God's eyes and see all that he's done during our life to bring us to the point that we are, where we are today. We might understand something of how he values us. Can you see that, what impact that might have on us? It might be the end of suicide. If we could see ourselves as God sees us, if we could look, it might be the end of, you know, depression, low self-esteem. I'm glad I never suffered from that. Uh, workaholism, workaholics, you know, performance orientation. Remember that phrase? Maybe you've never heard it. That means somebody who takes their value, their self-worth out, out, out of how they perform, how well they're doing. It's a terrible way to live. Anyway, those things could end if we could just get a glimpse of how much the Lord loves us. 
We look at the world around us. We see the Lord, see it as the Lord sees it, there, that there are people walking around out, out there in the parking lot. I passed a bunch of them on the street this morning that are just blind. They just don't have a clue about the spiritual realities of life on this planet. And they're desperate for somebody like you or me to come to them and shine a little of the light of Jesus Christ into their lives. We would see with God's eyes the losses, the pain, the disease, the suffering of this world, the heartbreak of it, that it is a natural result of a fallen world. This is a, the result of human sin. But we would also see it the way he sees it, that it's a chance for us. It's a huge opportunity for us to, to be Christians, to live in this broken and hurting world as Christ, to bring light and and truth and service, self-sacrificial service in the powerful name of Jesus Christ administering to people who are clueless and blind. We can look at our own relationships. Now I'm going to go on to meddling here. I've just been preaching, but we could look at our relationships. And we could look at them with God's eyes and see them as he might see them. Are they filled with light? Are they godly relationships and life-giving relationships? Or are there some that maybe have some darkness in them around the edges someplace that need to be changed or maybe to be given up? We look at our church. No, I'm really going to meddling. Uh, not really. It's a great church. But we, we look at it with God's eyes, and we, he'd give us the vision for you know, where, where we are, bright, shining the light on a hill, uh, and where we maybe got a little dimness that it's something we need to grow in or, or focus on. You see what I'm saying? That spiritual vision, we can live by it and live far better than we can without it. So... In conclusion, we are, if we are in Christ, we are children of the light, and so I want to encourage us to pray that more and more we'd live as children of the light. That we would look at ourselves and our world and our parish with God's eyes and spiritual vision and bring light wherever we go. Pray with me, please. Lord, I thank you that you give us this opportunity to see the world as you see it. Give us hearts, Lord, to weather the, the pain uh, that we see around us, Lord, and to see how you would have us work in the midst of a world that needs light so badly. In Christ's name, amen.